0: Hey there! I'm Daphne Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. Thank you for joining me today. I'm pretty excited about today's episode. It's a little bit of a different episode because I'm taking you behind the scenes and sharing a recent coaching call with my VIP clients. One of the pillars of my program is coaching. This is where I get to connect with you, learn about your life, learn about the things that you like to do. And we work together to really help you understand how to change your nutrition and lifestyle and habits to meet your goals. And I find that most women with PCOS really benefit from coaching in addition to learning how to eat and learning my method and all the content and things that I teach inside the program, because let's face it, we all know that knowing what to do and actually doing it can be two very separate things. And the implementation of the things that you know and all the information that you consume can be really challenging, especially because everyone is busy and fitting in these habits And really making a meaningful change that's sustainable can be very hard. And I think, I strongly believe that coaching is that piece of the puzzle that's often missing. So if you're like any of the women that I work with, You probably need the guidance and the support as well as the accountability and troubleshooting that coaching offers. Coaching offers you all of these things and then some. So it could be a really truly transformative experience to go through a coaching program and not just, you know, consume free content or read books. That's all good, but it can only take you so far. Coaching really allows you to get advice that's specific to your situation. It allows you to ask questions and get unstuck based on your specific needs, but also it gives you that extra push that we all need sometimes to take action to show up, to do the work when it comes to changing your eating habits and truly using nutrition to your advantage. And this is where the magic happens. It's very hard to carry out sustainable, long-term, meaningful change without coaching, without that support, because guess what? there are always gonna be bumps in the road. There are always gonna be questions that you need help with. And if you don't have anyone to guide you, someone who has the experience, who can give you very solid information and advice and really kind of, you know, hold your hand through this process. So sometimes it's not about the best tip or the best strategy, it's about the support. It's about someone being there when you need, when you're feeling low, when you need the help and you need the troubleshooting. And so in my experience, I offer coaching with most of my programs because it really helps you get better results and get them faster. So I have absolutely no doubt about it. And I don't know a single person who's gotten coaching and has not seen Great results and have loved the process. So today I wanted to share this with you, share a recent coaching call with my clients. These are real life people that have agreed to, you know, be featured. We're not going to expose names. Of course, everyone's going to stay anonymous. They're not going to be any identifying details. You're just going to hear first names, but this group is fire. It's absolutely incredible. They're not only committed and very invested into their own health journey but they are also encouraging each other and they're offering advice to one another and they are rooting each other all along the way. And there are low moments. There are difficult moments. There are challenges. The beauty and the power of the group is in those tough moments. This is where the true personality of the people comes out and you really get to feel like a part of a community. Now, some of these women have been working with me for almost two years, and some of them just joined a few weeks ago. But the wisdom that I shared in this group based on the experience, and that could be you know health-related experience or just life experience, is tremendous. It's really amazing. So like I said, They are sharing in each other's struggle. They are there to offer support, even if it's something that's just encouragement and kind words and saying, you got this, or I'm here for you. If you need more help or let us know or keep us posted, this makes a difference. This stuff really does impact people in a positive way, just knowing that someone's there for you. And I always tell them, Share more because the best tips inside my programs, the breakthrough moments have not come from me, from many of the women, the hundreds of women who've gone through it. They've come from peers. They've come from women just like you. And so the power of the community is strong. And I do think that the community aspect is very beneficial, even if you're not a group person. So I speak with many women who say, you know what? I don't know if I'm a group person. I don't want to be on a group coaching call. And let me tell you, even if you're just observing, even if you're just there passively, you're not saying anything. You're not submitting questions. You're just an observer you will still benefit from it. And especially with PCOS, because it could be so lonely, because most women don't know anyone else with the condition, or, you know, even if you do, maybe you're not comfortable talking to that person. It could be a truly transformative experience to now get in the room, even though it's virtual, you're not physically in the room with anyone, everything is done online, but you're now connecting with women literally from all over the world who have very similar struggles to yours, right? Everyone is unique and the situation may be different, but at the end of the day, the journey is similar, the struggles are similar, and it's very comforting and encouraging to be in the room with women like that who get it, who understand you, who know exactly what it feels like. And I chose to share this specific call because we covered very big topics, things that I know you're going to resonate with. We talked about emotional eating. We talked about sleep. We talked about eating on vacation, fitting healthy eating into a busy schedule. We talked about mindset. We talked about cravings. So these are things that I know come up a lot. And my hope is that you get a glimpse into it. You get some tips and tricks. You get to experience what a coaching call feels like if you've never had this experience before. And you you get a taste, no pun intended, into what it's like to be inside my program. So I really hope you find this call valuable and get some insights and hopefully some answers to questions that you may have. And without any further ado, let's get into it. All right, let's get to it. Jackie, you're first. You asked, how does everyone stay on their eating schedule while working in life? Okay. So I don't know exactly what you're referring to, but I can guess that you're talking about being busy, on the go, stress, all the things that, you know, life has in store for us. And how do you fit all the different principles that we're working on? And how do you stay on track? So let me know if I got that wrong, but I'm assuming that's what you're asking. Here's the thing. That's correct. Okay, good. So most people don't have time for healthy eating. They make time right? And so when something is important to us, we do find the time to do it. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I think the first step is to really make it important enough so that it becomes a priority. And it becomes something that you're thinking about, hopefully not all day long, but maybe like you and I had talked about a few minutes in the morning or the night before, and just kind of having a loose plan of how you're going to fit certain things into your day. And so just like... No one here is going to leave their pet without food or not going to, you know, prepare food for their child, right? We tend to do it to ourselves, but the people who are important to us or, or, you know, things that are important to us, somehow they do fit in. And so if you're in this constant catch-up mode in life and thinking like there's never enough time for anything, I want you to take a good, honest look at what you are fitting in. And thinking about where can healthy eating or healthy habits in general can get fitted into that, you know, what needs to come out, what needs to be done a little bit differently so that you do make the time to fit this stuff in because you're here and I know that it's important to you. And so it first has to become important enough so that you're not at the bottom of the list. Because if you're not eating well, if you're not making time for the habits that you want to develop... There's a ripple effect to that, right? You're not feeling well. Your mood is not great. You have aches and pains. You can't show up for others in the way that you want. So it's not just about, definitely not about weight. Let's even not even put that in the equation. It's about how you feel in your health and how you show up for others. And so the ripple effect of not fitting those things into your day is really significant. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Yes. Yeah. So do you see what I'm saying? So the first step is, it's got to become important. It's got to be pulled up to the top of the list and making sure that you're looking at your day, you're looking at the things that you're currently doing and thinking, okay, what could be done better? What could be taken off the list? What could be delegated to someone else? How can I shave off 20 or 30 minutes out of my day so I can plan and I can make this a priority? The other thing that I want you to do, Jackie, is think about all the things that you would be able to do once you meet your goals and all the things you would stop doing. So there are probably a lot of things that are happening right now that you don't love and they're directly linked to your health and to PCOS and how you feel every day. And so that may be, I'll throw some examples off the top of my head, but maybe you're struggling with pain, joint pain, back pain, inflammation. Maybe you're dealing with poor sleep. Sugar cravings. And so these are probably things that will get a lot better once you do fit small, healthy habits into your day on a consistent basis. And so thinking about what am I not going to have to deal with anymore that is really a pain point in my life can be motivating. It can make it really, you know, a lot more likely that you would make time for these things. And then, of course, think about all the things that you would be able to do, the things that you want, right? For each and every one of you, that's going to be different right? That's going to be a quality of life thing. That's going to be feeling excited about putting on clothes, getting dressed. This could be being able to move more. That could be not feeling as anxious and depressed, right? Everyone's going to have a different set of things, but thinking about that again, it can give you that push to say, this is important enough because here's this entire list of things that I don't want to have to deal with anymore. And here's another list of all the amazing things I'm gonna be able to enjoy once I get there. And so, you know, sometimes it's Yeah, you also have the
1: guilt factor. The guilt factor of actually putting yourself
0: first. You know, like the fact that you say putting, you know, you, you won't go without feeding
1: your pet, you won't go without feeding your child. But I guess speaking from a mom, right, point of view, it's like those things, they're non negotiable, right? But when you're you
0: do something for you that you put first, you feel like you're being Selfish.
1: You why are they are, non-negotiable?
0: Well, I'm saying to feed your you kids. You don't have to feed your <laughs> child. Not
1: they <laughs> can feed themselves, yeah.:
0: <laughs> you, And should we should we talk about how old your kids are or should we leave that off the oh, your kids no, are, are not, teens, yeah. right? Yeah, one's nine and one's
1: older, yeah, 20. So okay, so that, they're still pretty no, young. That
0: one's not, but, yeah. But do you see what I'm saying? You absolutely don't yeah. have to feed your kids. You see, like I'm playing with you a little bit there, but you know, you perceive that as a non-negotiable because you're a great mom and you do for others, and you want to make sure that you're, you know, filling your mom duties. But at the end of the day, if we were to ask your kids what would they want, they would want a happy, healthy mom, right? They would want a mom who puts herself first. Correct. And so it's a non-negotiable and that's exactly what happens. Everyone else's needs are non-negotiable, but our needs are so negotiable that we end up you know, being at the bottom of the list and nobody wins that way because you can't show up for them positively. You become resentful. You don't feel physically and emotionally well over time and it just gets worse from there. So it's a mindset shift for sure. I want to encourage you to really make this a priority. And with that, Take it one day at a time. Like what are the small, what's doable right now? What are some things that you can do that really don't take that much time? You can fit them in most days. We're not going to go for perfection, but most days there are things that are very doable. You can easily check them off the list and they're going to get you a step closer to where you want to go. Whether that's hydration, whether that's starting with a high protein breakfast, whether that's moving your body for 10 minutes, three times a week, like little things that you could do that don't take as much time as you may think. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of them, right? We don't need to meal prep for seven hours. We don't need to cook everything from scratch. You could take help from the store, but I do want you starting and asking yourself what's actually doable right now. And where could that possibly fit into my schedule? And also, you know, we talked about the 24 hour plans, writing down a little piece of paper, a little rough plan of your meals and snacks for the day and see if that's doable. Maybe you're thinking about your dinners only to begin with, right? You can look at your day in chunks and say, what's the most difficult time of day? Maybe it's dinners. Well, maybe we could do something small here. Maybe you can add. I don't know, a bag salad. You can make sure that you have some type of prepared rotisserie chicken. I'm throwing out ideas to give you examples. So, you know, that may not work for you, but thinking about the biggest areas of struggle and a simple solution that will make them just a little bit better right now, that's doable is a great place to start. Okay? Perfect. So, I want you to keep us everyone Informed about how you're doing and what you decided to do, what you decided is doable right now and how you're going to fit it in in the chat so that we can root for you and encourage you. But also that's going to keep you accountable because once it's out there, we're going to be checking to make sure that you're staying with it to motivate you. It's easy, you know, to let the week slip and kind of, you know, things just kind of snowball with one thing going wrong or your schedule is off. And then next thing you know, Nothing you planned for has worked out. That's okay. I want you to brush it off and start over the next day. Okay. It's very important that we keep restarting at the next meal or the next day without any fear or failure or shame or guilt or anything. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. I want you to think about tomorrow. Okay. It's very, very important that you keep going in that way. I also wrote here based on your question to repeat certain meals, to create some sort of a repertoire of meals that are easy for you, even if they use a lot of pre-made things, or you take help from the store, and just kind of rotate simple meals in the beginning until you get in a good groove, until you feel like it's doable. So we can always get fancy later. And there's a lot of things that we can work on. But right now, maybe you pick two breakfasts, two lunches, and you alternate those for the week. And that way you simplify your life. You don't have to think about coming up with a meal every day, right? You alternate certain options and that way it gives you still variety, but not like, you know, a headache every time you have to think about what to eat. And there are a lot of options in the portal and you and I looked at a few options as well, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Did that answer your question, Jackie? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Very good. You're welcome. Okay. Next question is, I'd love for all of you to discuss What has helped you create a good sleep routine? Okay, so as I'm reading the rest of this question, if you have a good sleep routine or you're working on one or you've already kind of started, you know, improving upon your sleep, put that into the chat. I have a hard time getting myself to bed at a decent time and I'm often tired in the mornings. How important is it to go to bed and wake up at the same time each day? So I would say it's pretty important. One of the things that we know about PCOS is that women with PCOS have a harder time falling asleep and staying asleep. And they therefore feel more tired during the day. And there's also higher levels of melatonin during the day. So your brain is actually signaling you to go to sleep during the day. So there's a little bit of a disruption in the sleep and awake cycle with PCOS. And that's something that can be worked on. And it's very, very important that you're as consistent as possible with the time you go to bed and the time you wake up, because that helps reset the circadian rhythm, which is your sleep and awake cycles in your brain as best as you can right on the weekends you're probably going to sleep later and things are going to happen but if possible during the weekday getting into a routine getting into a routine in general is a good idea because it really helps your body get into some sort of a rhythm but with sleep especially you know going to bed too late and then waking up very late that's you know something that can further disrupt your brain's hormonal activity and the sleep patterns and so Generally speaking, most people should really fall asleep between 10 and midnight and then wake up sometime in the before 10 a.m. ideally, right? So when you're working, not so much of an issue, but on the weekends, a lot of people tend to sleep in and that can cause a little bit of a domino effect there. So getting that, you know, as regulated and as consistent as possible is pretty important, I would say. As far as the sleep routine, there are a lot of things that you could be doing. I think that. To get good sleep, first and foremost, that starts earlier in the day. You have to get a good amount of natural light earlier in the day. And now with working from home and people not really getting outside as much, that can also disrupt. So getting natural light could really help you fall asleep because it helps your brain discern between daytime and nighttime. Okay, You want to train your brain when light goes through your eyes into your brain receptors it actually reaffirms to your circadian rhythm system your sleep and awake cycle that yes this is the correct time to stay awake and then when nighttime comes you know when the when it gets dark outside your brain perceives that and your body starts you know shutting things down and hormone activity is reduced and all of that problem is Most people don't get outside during the day and at night, it's like stadium lights in people's home, right? It's like bright lights, everyone's staying awake so late, and there's also exposure to screens. So making sure that you're getting natural light during the day and reducing exposure to screens and dimming lights at home at night can really set you up to fall asleep a lot faster. And then on top of that, I think creating a routine around sleep that helps you wind down. Okay. And so, because here's the thing, when you're not sleeping well, it's not just that you're tired, it's you're hungrier, you're moodier, there's more brain fog, your hormones, insulin and cortisol, lack of sleep or poor sleep is a stressor on your body. So your body's going to release more cortisol and that increases blood sugar. And when blood sugar goes up, insulin goes up. So it's a really slippery slope as far as your hormones, once you're sleep deprived or not getting good quality sleep. Sometimes people get the seven to nine hours that are recommended, but the quality of sleep is very poor. So again, it's about quantity and quality as well, but it is important to know that it's not just about feeling groggy and tired. It's also your hormones, your cortisol, your concentration, right? Your response time, your insulin levels, your cravings. I mean, who here hasn't noticed that when you're not sleeping well, you're way hungrier the next day. Way hungrier, way cravier. And the meals that you would normally eat are not doing anything to satisfy you when you're sleep deprived. That's all because of hormonal activity. And so making sure that you're starting gradually to push up your bedtime. I would say maybe by 20 or 30 minutes to start. So if you find that you're going to bed at 12 or 1 a.m., start making it a half hour earlier and staying with that for a week. Okay. So say you start getting into bed at, you want to get in bed at 1130. Well, I want you to set an alert on your phone, an alarm for 30 minutes before that. Okay. So you're starting to kind of prepare for sleep about an hour before you actually want to fall asleep. So it takes most people like 15 or 20 minutes to fall asleep. So let's kind of, (laughs) let's say that again. If you want to fall asleep at 1130, you really should be starting to get in bed and getting your bedtime routine going at around 1030. Okay. So you'd set an alert on your phone to start shutting things down. And I want you to think about changing where you are in your home. So you're not in your living room. You're maybe going to the bedroom. You're brushing your teeth. You're doing something that is going to get you off the screens, maybe reading, maybe you listen to something. Right. Music, podcast, meditation, sleep stories. I have a lot of clients who like sleep stories. On the Calm app, there are great sleep stories that help people fall asleep. And I have not listened to one myself, but I've heard great reviews of it from clients that it really helps relax. And you know, a lot of people are in this fight or flight mode all day. There's stress, there's work, there's news, there's all these things. We have to wind down and something like sleep stories, a meditation, a podcast, music, reading. Those are all things that can really help you. And most people enjoy them. So I do want you to think about doing something before bed that you enjoy. And sometimes I have this rule. It's called a 10-10-10 rule. So before bed, I want you to take the 30 minutes and break it up if it works for you in this way, where 10 minutes you're doing personal hygiene so you're brushing your teeth you're doing whatever you know routine you have as far as your hygiene 10 minutes then 10 minutes you're planning for the next day okay this is going to help on multiple levels like thinking about the next day not just in terms of your calendar and meetings and things like that but in terms of food too right what are you going to have do you need to pack snacks what kind of things are you you know looking to to structure your day with 10 minutes personal hygiene 10 minutes planning for the next day. And then 10 minutes, something that nourishes your soul. So, like we said, it could be reading. It could be a podcast. It could be something, you know, religious or spiritual. If that's something that you like and enjoy doing, it could be aromatherapy, you know, just like using an essential oil diffuser, doing some breathing, doing some stretching, doing some type of meditation, doing journaling. Okay. So there are a lot of different options here, but that's something like more, say, spiritual, soul nurturing, something for you. Okay. And that's it. And that's your 30 minutes before you go to bed. So if you start working on pushing that bedtime up earlier by half hour increments and working on this 10, 10, 10, if you can, if that's something that you think would work for you, I think you'd find that it's, it's getting easier and easier to prioritize sleep And also knowing what lack of sleep does to your body is important. So it really is not great for your hormones to not get enough sleep or to get poor quality sleep. And so a lot of things that are disrupting that, including stress and screens and all of that kind of stuff. So just kind of doing a little detox as far as screens and social media and all of that, if you can, it does help a lot of people. Okay, let me take a look in the chat and see what we have. Okay. All right. So you all shared a bunch of things. So I want to read them off. Jackie, you got some great suggestions here as well. So that's amazing. Thank you, everyone, for sharing that. Okay. Uh, Samantha says, things that helped me. I'm just making sure I didn't miss any sleep tips before, Samantha. Things that helped me. Blackout curtains. Yes, I love those. Getting ready for bed at the same time each night. Yes, the consistency with the timing, big. Switching off devices one hour before bed, switch to podcast or book, earplugs. Okay, great. Sandra says, I used to have to set an alarm for a time at night as a reminder to start my bedtime routine. Yes, that's great. I also try to keep away from TV, my computer, and my phone for 30 minutes before bed and read a book. Yes. If I have a hard time falling asleep, I'll use the Calm app to help clear my mind too. Yeah, a lot of people like the Calm app. I use it for meditation. I've never used the sleep stories there, but I heard they're great. Katarina says, the biggest improvement to my sleep has been working on my stress levels and happiness and being active throughout the day. Yes, I go for walks for my mind and body and actually started falling asleep In minutes. Sometimes, even when I was going to go on my phone, I just fall asleep before (laughs) starting a negative habit. Okay, great. I love that. Your body's like, nope, we're not going on the phone. We're falling asleep now. Okay, great. Chopin, you said no devices at least an hour before bed, light stretching on the floor. This really relaxes me for some reason. Yes, it's great. Dim lights, because everyone is so tense too. If you have a desk job and you're working on your computer or laptop, everything is tense. So yeah, your body needs the stretching, your body needs the expansion of your muscles and all of that. Dim lights for sure. And a fun activity before bed, playing cards with my wife, reading a good book, etc. Love it. Trying to get 10 to 20 minutes of sunlight every day. Yes. All of those things are perfect. You ladies are crushing it. Okay. Samantha box breathing. So, okay, great. Yes. Breath is actually a great way to switch the state of your nervous system. So breath immediately takes you, when you're doing box breathing, deep breathing, it takes you from fight or flight response, which a lot of people are in and we're not even realizing it anymore, into a more calm kind of state of your nervous system. And that, of course, is great for falling asleep. Katarina adds that the biggest improvement to waking up in the morning has been opening the blinds. The second I get up and move, going for a small walk, makes me forget I was really tired a few minutes ago and I don't rely on caffeine for the rest of the day. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. A lot of people also use, if you don't have the ability to get light exposure, natural light. And by the way, studies show that when people get natural light exposure, even on the cloudiest day, when there's not a sign of the sun out, it's still better than artificial lighting in your home. So if it looks cloudy and dark outside, it's still beneficial to go outside and get light exposure. But some people can't do that. And a lot of people also use a dawn simulator. Have you ever heard of this? It's a machine that kind of simulates the rising of the sun and that helps expose you to the correct type of light to regulate your brain activity and your circadian rhythm system. Those are great, great shares. Walking definitely helps energize me. Walking after lunch has helped reduce my post-lunch sleepiness. Great. What's box breathing? Okay, so Samantha says box breathing, also known as four square breathing, involves exhaling to holding your lungs empty for a count of four, inhaling at the same pace and holding air in your lungs for a count of four before exhaling and beginning the pattern anew. Okay, I actually use it with my son for his anxiety and it works great. Yes, so you can look it up on YouTube. There are a lot of videos on how to do it. It's very easy. It's basically this pattern and we do it maybe four or five times and it really helps. Okay, great. Thank you so much everyone for these shares. That's perfect. Okay. Let's move into talking about emotional eating, okay? Another really big topic. So emotional eating strategies is something that has come up a lot in my one-on-one sessions with some of you, and you know, you also submitted some questions about it. So I wanted to address it. Emotional eating, I just want to preface and say that it happens to everyone. Everyone eats emotionally, okay? So if you've ever had cake on your birthday, or if you ever said, I need a drink, Yes, we've all eaten emotionally and it's perfectly normal and human to do it. And people who say they don't eat emotionally, they're either lying or they have a very disordered pattern of eating and a terrible relationship with food where you know they're perfect all the time. That's not a thing. That's unrealistic. And I've been doing this long enough to know that everyone eats emotionally to some degree and there's actually nothing wrong with it if it's occasional. Okay, So we can normalize that. Like it is okay to do. And, and you know, and it can be done in a way that doesn't really impact your health, okay? So the problem starts when people rely on food as an emotional crutch, where every emotion is managed with food, and when we use food to actually not feel those emotions, when we use food to suppress them. okay? So people who eat for every emotion, happiness, sadness, boredom, anxiety, frustration, grief, that's where it becomes an issue. Because essentially, what we're doing is we're trying to avoid dealing with our emotions. Okay. And so like with everything else, awareness is key. And I want you to really stay in a mindful state about why it is that you're eating emotionally on a particular day. What are some of the patterns that you've had in the past around emotional eating that maybe you can connect the dots and say, when this event or situation occurs, or when I'm with this person, I tend to eat emotionally, right? So there is definitely going to be some sort of a trigger for it. And, you know, we may be aware of what that trigger is, we may not be, but I want you to think about, is there an element of trying to escape some type of emotion? Is there an element of trying to distract from something that needs our attention whether that's a relationship that's dysfunctional whether that's another situation that we don't like being in and obviously when emotional eating keeps resurfacing in that way it's not good physically right because it leads could lead to binging and it could lead to you know more insulin resistance and other things but also emotionally It may feel like the right thing to do in the moment, but it rarely is because guess what? There's bottling of emotions that, you know, there's just like a temporary relief from that negative emotion that doesn't really last past insert whatever thing we eat, sleeve of Oreos, ice cream, whatever it is. There's going to come a point and not, you know, within minutes, usually when we're done with the emotional eating episode and the problem is still there. And so emotionally, really, It's a distraction. It's not a solution. And so our problem is still there. It's oftentimes compounded with now guilt, regret, and shame over the emotional eating episode. And we're back to square one. And so I think what's happening for a lot of women right now is that we are so busy. We are always on the go. People are constantly multitasking that during the day, many people don't have the chance to even process half of the stressful things that we're going through or the situations that we're exposed to. And then when we get home and we sit down and we take a moment, it all sinks in, right? It all starts to actually process. And it's all starting to kind of create all this turmoil of emotions. And that's very overwhelming. So it's like a natural thing that we would want to suppress that. So here's the thing. If you're someone who experiences emotional eating regularly, multiple times a week, happening more frequently than you know is healthy or normal, I would say that the first thing is to really be okay and accept the fact that negative emotions are going to surface. We don't need to do anything about them in the immediate sense. We could just sit with them. Okay? We're going to sit with them and we're actually going to start accepting them as part of us whether again, that's stress, anxiety, fear, anger, frustration, whatever it may be, I want you to take a pause and allow five to seven minutes to actually think about what you're feeling. And I actually want you to either write it down or verbalize, I am feeling frustrated. I am feeling sad. I am feeling angry, whatever it may be. But I want you to get specific. It's not just like I'm feeling bad. I want you to get specific as to... What is it that you're feeling? And now we have to start retraining our brain instead of going to get something to eat, instead of you know finding ourselves in the pantry already midst, in the middle of eating something, I want you to just sit with it and think about it, okay? It's gonna be uncomfortable, I'm gonna tell you. It's not gonna be fun, but it's a very necessary step because if you're not doing this, you're not allowing your rational brain to kick in. When we're going for food, in an emotional state, it's our infant brain. It's our brain that needs attention and satisfaction right now. There's instant gratification elements to that, okay? So the pleasure center of our brain, it wants to be satisfied now. And when we're eating emotionally, we're not letting the rational brain, which takes a few minutes to kick in and get in the conversation, right? That's the part of the brain that weighs consequences to actions, If you're already eating, you're already activating the pleasure center of your brain. I want you to take a moment, think about it, tap into your rational self and say, what am I actually feeling? I'm going to name the feeling and we're going to think about just sitting with it and not doing anything. Okay. The other thing is, I want you to also ask, what do I really need? So if you're angry, what do you really need? Do you need to vent? If you're feeling grief, what do you need? Do you need to cry? Do you need to, you know, if you're feeling depressed, do you need to get uplifted and feel a happy moment, right? What are some of the specific things that are going to reverse your specific negative emotion right now? A lot of things could fit. There's not going to be right right or wrong answers here. A lot of things could fit because everyone's feelings are different and what works for you is going to be different. But it may be a good idea to think about it ahead of time and think about things that you can do that can actually change your emotional state now and later, right? We talked about things that feel good now and later. Food is not going to be it because it feels good now. It usually does not feel great later in most cases, especially when it's happening in a way that feels impulsive, out of control, binge-like, right? So most people don't like that, that feeling of after. And so what's going to feel good now and later is very important And it's also, got to be doable. So I spoke to a few of you today about this. A lot of times we hear, well, if you're feeling, if you're going to eat emotionally, don't eat, take a bath. Well, it's not really feasible for most people to take a bath at any given moment. I mean, I don't know, you correct me, but to me, that feels like something that would be hard to do in some situations. And also, you know, I want it to be something that addresses how you feel. If you're feeling frustrated and you're going to go sit in a bath and simmer with your frustrated emotions, I'm not sure that that's going to help, right? So the the action and the emotion need to match. And so it's got to be something more doable. It's got to be something like maybe journaling, maybe going for a walk, maybe calling up someone and venting about it. it. It may be that your boss was super annoying today and you just need to type out an email and never send it. And just vent and write down all the things that you want to tell them, but you never will or something like that, right? So like, I want you to think about something that's actually going to help change your emotional state. And during that time, you're you're really delaying the act of eating. And that's called delay and distract, right? So we're going to distract with something else that's actually going to make you feel a little bit better, whether that's journaling or some other form of activity that, you know, would leave you feeling better. And so the other thing is when you're delaying and distracting, and this is all happening within five to seven minutes. So it sounds like a lot. It's a process, but I do want you to try it. So that again, even if you decide to eat at the end of those five to seven minutes, that is okay. But I do want you to allow the time. And if you're gonna decide to eat, I want you to do it in a mindful way, not in a way of hiding or feeling shameful or thinking about how you shouldn't be eating it while you're eating it. Right. I don't want that kind of experience. I want you to put whatever it is that you're going to eat on a plate, sit by a table, eat it mindfully and enjoy it. Okay. So it's okay at the end of all of this to still decide to eat, but I want it to come after some sort of a thought process that you've gone through and you've rationally decided that that is the right thing to do next. Okay. The other thing is when you're delaying and distracting, it's a good opportunity to do something else, to do something that, you know, I was telling some of you today that I used to have a client um, many years ago who would, every time she would feel like she wants to eat emotionally, she would go put a load of laundry in. And she went through a lot of laundry right in the beginning. And that was fine because she felt super productive. She felt like she got something done that she needed to do anyway. It distracted her. And then by the end of the laundry session, she realized she wasn't really hungry and it was just habit. And that helped her form a new habit. That delay and distract strategy helped her form a new habit that she liked a lot better. And so your brain can change. But if you're constantly putting in another vote and another vote and another vote for emotional eating, right? Every time we could repeat a behavior, it's a vote for that behavior. It continues to strengthen that pathway in your brain. And so a lot of people make the mistake of stopping cold turkey. And trying to avoid doing anything or start, you know, we have to replace that behavior with something else. And so find something else that you can replace it with that would feel good, that would address your emotions. And that would leave you feeling like you got something done that was more conducive to changing your emotional state than food. Okay. Now all of this is laid out in the portal for you. So you have a module about this. This takes time. And so we can't get discouraged if it's not working on day one or week one or month one. We have to keep trying to do it. We have to keep doing it a little bit better each time. And believe me, even on the days that you end up eating, whatever it is that you're eating, if you thought about it, if you took the time, you delayed and distracted, you kind of let it be and sat with those emotions first, that's progress. That's really, really good. Okay. So don't ever, you know, let yourself get disappointed if you ended up eating. Okay. That's, that's something that I think we have to be okay with. Do you put FOMO eating in the same category as emotional eating? I don't know. FOMO eating as in what, like when someone's eating something else and when you you want to eat something someone else is
1: eating. Like I wasn't so, going to eat anything. And then, then my husband and my sons are eating ice cream right in front of me. And then I'm like, Oh, you're eating ice cream. Well, now I wanted ice cream. I wouldn't have had ice cream if you didn't just sit down and eat ice cream in front of me. But now it's there and it it's an option. And now I'm thinking about it, and now I want it.
0: Yeah, I would put that in a similar category. It's kind of like, yeah, I think FOMO eating is a good name for it. I would, it's a little bit like boredom eating, or just like you know, mindless eating. I guess I would call it. Yeah, I would put that in in a similar category. It's usually coming from the same place, and so the same process would hold. And again. If it's happening every single night and every single night you feel compelled to eat, yeah, maybe there's something there. But if it's happening once or twice here and there, I wouldn't worry about it. Right. So ladies, what happens most of the time is what's important. Okay. So there's, we don't need to stress about every type of situation that's feeling abnormal or feeling like it's off. Right. It's okay. It's okay. We can, we can be okay with a lot of different. Patterns of eating. But for most people, emotional eating impacts you in a negative way. Like you actually feel bad about it, it doesn't feel good. So that's when it's a red flag. When you're doing something, when there's a habitual behavior that leaves you feeling bad, that's something that I would want you to pay attention to. Samantha, if you ate an ice cream that your husband had and it was like the best thing and you're like, wow, I really enjoyed that, and you move on from there,
1: I don't see that as a problem. Yeah, it's more that it's a regular thing and it's normally not even that good, but it's like... Right,
0: so that's... Yeah, so
1: that's...
0: (laughs) Right, so that's something that I would consider to be emotional, yeah.
1: I was doing pretty well this summer, like just not buying it and not bringing it in the house, but in the past couple of weeks, it's snuck in and then I've had other issues where like, I've been in a lot of pain and so like, yeah, I want that ice cream with a cookie, with a chocolate bar. Did it help your pain? Well, it was a nice distraction for a little bit. Right,
0: (laughs) Didn't (laughs) make the pain
1: didn't make the pain actually go away, but
0: little, little Yeah, so I would put that in the same category. These are patterns that we need to look at and really be honest with ourselves. Like, what is happening? Like, why did I make this choice? Am I happy with this choice? Would I make it again? And so if we're constantly choosing things that don't serve us or and leave us feeling badly, something's gotta change, you know, because it may be a behavior that you're used to, but that doesn't make it a behavior that's good for you right? So I do want you to think about, you know, what's really behind that. And can I be okay when someone's eating something next to me, and I don't partake, and I'm happy for them that they're enjoying it. But I know that I don't need that, you know, like, I'm not hungry, or I already had a dessert, or I don't particularly enjoy this type of dessert, and I can be happy for them to enjoy it. And and that's okay. Right. So yeah, I would put that in the same category. Katarina says a great advice my mom gave me is really thinking about what your body needs. Are you thirsty, tired? Yes. Are you actually hungry or just have a quick desire for something unhealthy? Taking a minute to separate yourself from your emotions, like you said, and then acting based on what you need, not just mentally, but also physically. Yeah, exactly. So we want to check t- where is this emotion, right? Are we is it up here? Are we actually hungry? Is it more in my chest? Am I feeling stressed? That's a a great way to connect with your body. And so taking a moment, thinking about it, just like you said, yes, those are great tips. Okay, I wanna get to several more questions that were submitted. So we're gonna go a little quicker with the time we have left. Okay, Samantha, you asked, how do I change my mindset and enjoy vacation instead of being anxious about food? Okay, so that's a great question. I want you all ladies to think about this and go into the chat and share. Okay. So how do I change my mindset and enjoy vacation instead of being anxious about food? Samantha, can you clarify your question a little bit more? Tell me more about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we had a really good conversation. Was it last week about like strategies and like kind of protocols for like actually eating meals, but I'm still kind of like thinking, okay, I've got like, Two weeks and I'm going to be eating every meal out. And like, how am I going to go on this trip? And even with these protocols, like, I still feel like I'm going to, I'm worried about getting weight. And now I'm spending all this mental time thinking about like looking ahead at menus and where we're going to go and where we're going to eat and what am I going to eat when I'm there? And it's like really like giving me anxiety instead of being like, hooray, I'm going on vacation. Right. So, like, and I think that in the chat, there were, other people had questions about like vacation eating too. So I feel like it was just, I'm not, I'm hoping I'm not alone on this, but it was just kind of like, I want to enjoy my vacation and not stress about what I'm supposed to be eating. And even if I'm being more mindful about like looking at the menu and thinking about prioritizing healthier options, putting a vegetable on the plate, sharing an app, not having dessert at every meal, that sort of thing. Like I just want to not be stressed about it.
0: So I think the first thing is, like you said just now, is to trust yourself that you're going to be as mindful and as educated, right, about your choices as possible. And you're already there. I think sometimes when there's anxiety, where there are two things, there's worry and there's fear, right? Anxiety is kind of a combination of worry and fear. And I think it may be the fact that I want you to ask yourself, do I trust myself to continue to stay mindful? Right. Maybe you're feeling like you're going to be in a situation where you won't be able to trust that you'll make a good choice based on what you know. And I want you to, to reassure yourself that you will do that. You have all the knowledge and tools that you need to, to do that. And so you don't have to worry about the way that you'll behave or the planning of it or things like that. Do you see what I'm saying? Like I want to reassure you that you already know. And you are already making some preparations to do the best that you can, given the circumstances. Yes, you're going to be eating out, you're going on a two week vacation. And so there's only so much planning in advance that you could do. And you've probably already done a lot of it. So, yeah, you know, I think taking the pressure off and saying, you're going to be in situations that are not in your control. And that's, by choice right you're going on this amazing vacation and you know that it's going to be different than home so setting the expectation that you're going to be able to stick with everything that you're doing at home is not realistic at all and so there needs to be a different set of goals and expectations for a vacation
1: i think it is exactly that i think it's the lack of control like i feel like when i'm at home i can control my environment i can have more control over like what goes on my plate and now i'm kind of left up to like trying to make the better Option, which still might not be a good option. And like just the stress of like how much work it takes for me to lose weight and like thinking about gaining weight. It's just like.
0: So I think doing the best within a circumstance or a situation is really the only thing that you could do. And when you're stressing over it, it's really taking away from the pleasure of the experience and the vacation. Right. And so I want you to think about, you know, you're going on vacation to relax and recharge and have a good time. The last thing you want is to spend that time stressing over the food, right? Because you're going to you know, be resentful and it's going to actually hinder you moving forward if you feel like you can't even go on vacation and, and enjoy foods that you love and just not have to worry about every single thing, which you don't have to do at home anyway, but you, you understand what I'm saying. like The lack of control adds, I totally get it, another layer of anxiety to this, but you're already doing the best you can and you will continue to stay mindful. And beyond that, there's no sense in continuing to stress over it because truly you only can do so much, right? And the vacation is meant for for joy and relaxation. And also when you put things in perspective, even though it's two weeks, in the grand scheme of things, and when you look at the amount of meals that you have in a year, or even a month, you know. So it's half of your month. You still have another half of the month, and the rest of the year, and so many more meals to come, where this is going to be a very negligible thing in the grand scheme of things. So putting things into perspective and and, and really taking the pressure off of yourself, because again, I, I don't think that it's serving you, and I think that. You also have the ability to start your day while you're on vacation at any point. And so even if something went wrong, you know, there are going to be options that are great. There are going to be situations where you're able to, you know, stick with a meal that's perfectly balanced and fine. And so focusing also on habits that are not food related that you can keep doing while you're away can also relieve the stress because we're really good in, in, in seeing what we're doing wrong. But I want to encourage you to think about what are some of the things that, you know, you're going to do a lot of walking. You're going to probably do a lot of other things that you're doing at home, like timing your meals and hydration and, you know, other things that you could do while you're away that can relieve some of the stress and say, you know what? I'm doing all of these things that are easy to, to carry out. Even when I'm away from home, the food is not going to be the way it is You know, when I do have control and in my home environment, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. And I've agreed to that. You know, when you're going on vacation, you're already agreeing to that, right? So, you know, when we go, when we put ourselves in certain situations, there are things that we agree to and we have to be okay. We can't stress about it because again, it's not in our control. And, you know, we don't want to take away from the pleasure of the vacation. That's really the best advice that I can give you. I can't say that you wouldn't think about it you know, that hopefully I've erased it from your (laughs) mind, right? It doesn't work that way. But I I hope that you could put it in perspective. Thanks. You got some great, great advice in the chat. Michelle Pin and Sandra. Yep. So thank you, everyone. I don't want to read it because we have a few minutes left. So uh, hopefully, Samantha, you can read some of these comments. And also, they'll be available with the replay. So you'll be able to go back into the chat. Okay, Sandra, you asked, how can I stop wanting sweets? sweet things all the time? Or is this something to not stress about right now? I would say definitely don't stress about it. It's very reversible and fixable. I would say that, you know, cravings are common but usually they go away fairly quickly with the balanced meals. And I did look through your records and they look overall pretty good. I would ask about stress and sleep first, because that can trigger a lot of sweet cravings. So if your sleep is not great or you're, you know, I know you went back to work or are going back to work soon, maybe stress kind of got out of hand. And this is a time that's difficult while everyone's adjusting back to school. Because based on what you're eating, I would say, you know, you're getting enough protein, you're eating a beautiful amount of vegetables, you're timing your meals properly. The only thing that maybe I would say to try, so stress and sleep first, and then the other thing in moving your body, because that, you know, usually when there are cravings, there's insulin resistance that's not well-managed. And so movement around mealtimes can help sensitize your body to insulin and hopefully reduce some of the cravings. I'm assuming they happen between meals or after dinner, you know, the movement, the stress, and the sleep for sure first. And then if we were to talk about nutrition, I would say that making your meals be more focused on protein, vegetables, and fats, specifically chewable fats. So not like olive oil or things like that, but more like nuts and seeds, avocados, olives, even coconut flakes. You may want to add more heavier on the fats and protein and save the carbohydrates the higher fiber carbs for your snacks. Try that Sandra and see if that helps. But, you know, sometimes the ratio of the carbs, you know, maybe there're just a few extra carbs that are triggering more cravings for you and again, the sleep and the stress could be like creating this perfect storm with it, but I would try to up the protein and then focus on lots of vegetables and healthy fats with your meals. And that may help tame some of the cravings. Not that you have to cut out carbs, but you can maybe move them to be more with your snacks and pairing them like you and I worked on before. That would be my my best advice. Okay. Yeah. I figured it's something more related to that. <laughs> it always, work always gets in the way of, of life, right? It's such a conundrum. Okay. Chopin. okay, you're asking the hard questions today. I like that. So you asked two great questions. The first one is, I want to know more about how PCOS works. So that we could be here all day with that one, but we're going to boil it down to a few separate things, a few specific things I should say that I want you to think about. What specifically is at play here in our bodies that causes PCOS and the symptoms we experience like weight gain, fluid retention, or weight gain and retention? Fatigue, high blood sugar, irregular periods. So all of the things that we talk about a lot and how is what we're doing helping us combat and reduce symptoms? So we actually don't know what causes PCOS, but what we do know is that once someone has PCOS, they do deal with one of three things or sometimes all of them together. Insulin resistance, inflammation, and high androgen levels, which are your male hormones. And so these are the three main drivers behind PCOS symptoms And they, of course, disrupt hormones. Inflammation increases cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Insulin resistance, of course, increases insulin and sometimes blood sugar. And then high androgens mean high testosterone levels mostly. And so what we're doing here is actually addressing those three hormones specifically, because we know that PCOS is best managed with nutrition more so than medications, more so than birth control pills. Nutrition is the number one medication or treatment for PCOS. And so we can you know, use food in a strategic way like we're doing here with high protein, high fiber, adding vegetables, focusing on anti-inflammatory foods, focusing on blood sugar management, working on your carb tolerance. All of these things help really tame the two main hormones, cortisol and insulin, but also as a byproduct, reduce androgen levels because androgen levels are often a result of high insulin levels as well. And so it all kind of works in this ecosystem of things feeding into each other. And so the meals that, you know, the way that I teach you to eat and not just the actual meals and food we eat, the timing of it and the habits around it help with balancing those hormones so that, you know, you can reverse the symptoms. You can't reverse PCOS completely It's not curable. It's a chronic condition, but you can manage it with those nutrition strategies to a point where it's not noticeable. And I've had a lot of clients who went back to their doctor and the doctor says, well, you don't have PCOS anymore because you don't have cysts on your ovaries or you now have a regular period. That's not exactly true, but it looks that way because the suppression of the symptoms and the hormonal balance is so good that it looks like PCOS has gone away. But because it's a chronic condition, we're going to want to keep those nutrition changes long term, which is why we don't do anything extreme and we go low and slow and we kind of take it, you know, in a very sustainable way. And so that's the very short explanation of what's happening in the body. Now, PCOS impacts almost every body system. It's not just your reproductive health. It's not just metabolic health. You know, it can impact, like I said, digestive system and thyroid, of course, your endocrine system. It can even lead to things like inflammatory, you know, situations like acne and gum disease and all of the things, you know, it can really impact every single system in your body, but everyone has a little bit of a different set of symptoms. But the good news is that it all goes back to these root causes, these, you know, drivers of the PCOS that are all addressed with food. So hopefully that answered your question. Your second question was, do calories matter in a big way? In prior coaching relationships, I've had coaches tell me we shouldn't starve ourselves and eat 1200 calories a day, which I understand, but calories still matter in this PCOS journey. Is that correct? What's the principle to go by in terms of calories? So it really depends. Some women don't have a weight concern. They're not interested in losing weight. I would say calories are mostly relevant, if at all when we're talking about weight management. And if I were to kind of rank the things that are important, calories would not be in the top three, okay? So I think that food quality is more important. I think that the timing of the, the meals, the way you put your plate together, regardless of calories, so the qualitative aspect of your nutrition is much more important because you could be eating, quote unquote, the right amount of calories but getting very poor nutrition, Right. So if we were to eat 1600 calories each, you and I, and I ate my 1600 calories in M&Ms and you ate a variety of foods, that would be a very different picture for each of us, even though we're eating the same exact amount of calories. Right. So they're not important in that way. However, once someone already optimized their quality of food, once someone is already in a good routine with meal balance, if weight still goes up, that's where we may need to fine tune and look, are you taking in too many calories from healthy foods? Because that could be an issue. And- While weight loss doesn't cure PCOS, in many cases, it improves insulin resistance, it can improve fertility. So I don't subscribe to this philosophy that weight is absolutely not important at all with PCOS. I do think that it can make a difference. And I do think that sustainable, healthy weight loss can improve hormonal health and the outcomes and the symptoms and of course, disease risk. But calorie restriction and focusing on calories is not the way to do that. We can focus on other things and without you noticing, we're shaving off some calories from your day without you feeling deprived or on a diet. So when you're focusing on the other things as a byproduct of that, the calories kind of work themselves out. And that's been my method and my experience for many, many years where we're aware of calories. We're not totally oblivious to them, but we're not counting them and, you know, really putting an emphasis on the numbers. So hopefully that answered your question. So I would say general awareness to it, especially if weight is a concern. And, you know, there are a lot of healthy foods that are very calorie dense. So like I said, we can't really ignore them. But I don't think that, you know, most women don't want to be trapping calories. Most women don't want to work with calorie ranges. It's not necessary. You can do really well and see great results without that food accounting. Samantha likes to say I don't want to be a food accountant, right? I don't want to have to tally points or calories or anything like that. And I totally get that. It's a chore, right? So what'd you think? Was it interesting? Did you get some of your own questions answered on this call? I sure hope so. And I want you to know that while each and every call is different, I know that the ladies walk away from these sessions feeling more positive about themselves. They are armed with new tips, some new information and strategies to try. And overall, they just have more confidence and motivation to continue making progress. And I'm super proud of them. And I hope you got a little bit of that feeling as well today. Now, if you're interested in learning more about coaching, speaking with me about what the process is like and what you can expect, I want you to fill out an application. That would be the first step to doing so. And you can do it over at daphnachazencom forward slash coaching. I'll leave the link in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I can't wait to connect with you again. Bye.